Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. We have a fucking awesome episode today. Uh, you might be new to the show, which I would totally guess because we have a verified FAMO, downtown Griffey Noom, a blank check, the tech, Masters of the Universe, our cartoon president, and on top of all that, just a stand-up fucking class act and good human being. And I will share a story with you in a minute about why Griffin is a great human being. Uh, first, I want to say a huge thank you to my brother, Aaron. He is the person who introduced me to Blank Check Podcast. Uh, he is someone... Him and I are both obsessed. We're both totally, we're totally part of the fandom. We listen. We subscribe to the Patreon. We talk about it. Um, you know, we just we really, we just really love the show. And I've listened to thousands of hours of this of, of Griffin's voice. And I got to talk about the episode. I watched The Tick first, and I fucking love all our iterations of The Tick, but it was Amazon's version of The Tick is my favorite. And specifically, it was Griffin's performance, which I, we talk a lot about in depth. And so I just, you know, I like to book guests that are part of something that is something that I feel connected to. And, you know, fame and status and all that stuff is why it's great for marketing and all that stuff. But in us, on a personal level, at the end of the day, um, you know, neither Griffin and I were making a penny off of this conversation by any means. It's about how you value your time and especially during the COVID and just in generally, I have a, yeah, I have a three-year-old. So like time is limited. I want to book my guest based off the people I want to spend an hour talking to and hopefully we connect. And I really feel like Griffin and I got there. Um, just honestly, he could not have been any kinder or more generous with this time. So let me tell you a little story. So we sat down to record few weeks ago right i would say the saturday of when all the covid stuff really happened and shit was hitting the fan like that first week had passed i had worked six straight days i was i work at a hospital uh i was very tired still trying to figure out everything was happening uh felicity my daughter who's not who's three ended up getting sick that day um you know still scared it was very scary and she like had thrown up and I think she had thrown up right when him and I were recording a few minutes into it. So I ran downstairs, you know, get that all taken care of with Victoria and make sure she's okay. Run back up. We start doing the interview again. A few minutes, maybe another 15, 20 minutes past. Felicity, all of a sudden, we hear crime, throws up again. You know, all this stuff's going through my head. Does she have coronavirus? Like, how does she get to the hospital? You know, just you're a terrified parent who's exhausted and the whole your whole world is crumbling on, on you. But you've also booked your biggest podcast guest so you don't want to like let them know that you're freaking out and you also don't want to reschedule because maybe it doesn't happen. Um, so after the second time I came up, I was so exhausted. Uh, Griffin, with, without me even saying anything, he goes, hey, do you want to just just reschedule? I'll, I, I'll, I promise I'll just come back or something like that. And I was like, the host of me initially was like, no, all common sense should say, no, you should just finish it out. Who cares? You just suck it up. But I was so tired, and I have to stress this is the first week of the coronavirus, and I worked six straight days at a hospital, and I don't think I was wearing a mask at that point. I don't think we had masks at that point. So a lot's changed. Things have gotten better. Um, so I said, sure, and I thought about it afterwards. I was like, you know what? Worst case scenario, I was like, I'll just put out the short episode and just be thankful that someone was even kind enough to give you a half hour of their time, especially when you had to get up twice to go take care of matters. Um so I think a week went by and we finally reconnected. Turned out we both had the same depressive slump. I was like, yep. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Uh, so yeah, no, Griffin is true to his word. Um, you know, by by virtue of just a promise to a, a stranger, essentially, A, he said he would do the show. And not only did he say he would do it, he did it twice. And I have to say, this episode is fucking fire. 
Griffin, to quote my brother Aaron, because he was helping me out with the post-production, and I had him give him a listen to make sure it was up to the standard, uh, he said something along the lines that Griffin treated it as if he was on This American Life, which was such a high honor. Like, uh, my brother and I, you know, we're very close and whatnot, but, like, you know, we we love Brink Trek. So, like, I felt a responsibility, probably, not honestly, I really felt a responsibility to do this episode right, maybe to the audience and all that stuff, but ultimately, with every episode, there's always, like, a handful of people I'm like, I really want to impress, and this one was, you know, my brother. So I'm, I was happy to do that. You know, and on top of that, I'm a fanatic of The Tick. I watched The Tick first. My brother-in-law, Alex, and I, uh, shout out to Alex Pascast, uh, we, we, um, we, we would watch it together a lot. We watched both seasons and just fucking, oh, it's so good. So, you know, I just, I think you'll hear this in the episode that Griffin is a good human who does the best they can with what they have they give back to the very fandoms you know it's just such a lot of really cool stories about like these full circle mormons which i'm having one right now i got to interview griffin newman this is someone i've wanted to talk to for a very long time uh, a few years i've been i've wanted i've tried to get a few of the blank check folks and i definitely want to get david ben and Ange. if you're hearing this on here but i'll i'll, I'll approach you the appropriate way um i love i just i love this show so um that's enough about that uh, let me just uh, do a little house housekeeping. Uh, first, a shout out to our Avengers team. We've now added our book. Uh, we've now added Nathan Peavy. So now we have Nathan Peavy, Christopher Ball, Maxwell Baines, Will Forcer, and Brianna Benjamin. Thank you to my wonderful, incredible Avengers team who make doing this possible. I was recently a guest on the Best Advice Ever YouTube show, which you can find on Laughing and Disbelief on YouTube, which is uh, Andrew Hall, who is a past guest on this very show from a couple years ago. A uh, really great guy. Um, I had so much fun uh, doing... That was my first YouTube show, so I'm hoping to do some more video, but shout out to Andrew for even thinking me. And, and on uh, May 7th, I'm going to be doing presenting at the What Cheer Writers Club uh, podcast listening party, which I had done once before. Due to the COVID, we're due, it's going to be virtual, so now anyone can go to it. Um, I believe it is donation-based. It will all be the via Zoom, so check out What Cheer Writers Club. If you have any thoughts, feelings, opinions about this episode or any past episodes, feel free to engage with us on social media, at Let's Chat Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Our email is Let's Chat Podcast E at Let's Chat Podcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to make a donation, uh, you could Venmo Let's Chat Podcast. And, um, you know, we got stickers, magnets, merch. If you're interested, just let us know. We'll send it to you for free. Anyway, let's get to it. To my books, down the well, said goodbye to a few some I didn't tell. Couldn't have seen 21,000 miles, but I got there. Oh, yes, yes, correct. Thank God, yeah. Uh, we have the haws, and then uh, Ange is sort of learning how to edit as well. So, uh, yeah, so we can have a two-person operation on that it's end. It's wonderful. I was, um, I had, since since last, whatever, couple weeks ago, whatever it was, I had just listened to your, yeah. your five-year anniversary episode, which was mm-hmm. 
Besides, I love all your episodes, many of your episodes, but like, no, I think everything I've listened to, I loved. But that one I found, um, just as like a independent podcaster who's been in the game for about six years, who's now being like, maybe I should try to do something more with this for the first time ever. I found it very informative yeah. and very helpful. Like it really, like I was, I took a bunch of notes. Um, oh, that's all. Awesome. It was, it's, I definitely, like, as you all were talking, like with Ange and, and, and Ben and David, everyone was like, man, I took so many notes from you guys, like in your thing. It was like, so on a indie podcast level, it was beyond helpful. Like I never even, I've never, it's so weird. I never even thought to like use the word strategize. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Why have I never just lots of weird stuff? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just stuff like that can like just like love what you guys have done with Blank Check, and it's so great. I was like, oh, because first I used to, when I listen to Blank Check, I'm like, man, this sounds so hard. Because a you have to watch a movie, which is hard enough for me to do anyway, and then know everything yeah. about it. And I'm like, wow, you guys, I don't, it was very helpful. So I have to say thank you for that. Well, that that's nice to hear. Yeah. It was it's cool and. I, I really liked because I had this weird thing where I was always like too afraid to have bring anyone in or have other voices. But when you had um, Ange do the Birds of Prey episode, it was always something an idea yeah. I've always toyed with of having like so, like my my producers do an episode. I had never I was like oh no 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 and I was like huh. Ange is now enough of a character within Blank Check where I didn't listen to it and think it was like someone different. It, it definitely was inspiring. I was like, oh, maybe Will should do some of these things because here I am listening to other shows saying, no, I won't do this for my own. Well, it just also feels like that thing of like, uh, how, how long have you been doing your show now? Five years? S six years? Six years. Wow. It yeah, just feels like one of those things where it's like you, I feel this way about anything creative, but it's like you want to make sure you don't get stagnant and the easiest way to get stagnant is to think that you figured something out you know yeah so absolutely I, I feel like it's important to always try to like throw shit into the mix just to like a knock you out of complacency and b um d like test the limits of what else you can do you know oh no absolutely i mean i i had my experience i had right when my the short, the short version of it, my when my my wife had a very traumatic birth and we almost lost her, that led to like some post, oh, wow. some post traumatic stress and some stuff and like uh, I had, yeah. I took a couple years of like posting less and tried to quit a few times and oddly enough I'm mm -hmm. actually I maybe now I can comfortably say this but I'm I'm creative but I never have been a creative person I've never viewed myself one this is the first creative outlet I've ever had and stuck with. Really? This podcast? Wow. Yeah, I've tried guitar. I've tried all these things, and, like, I love movies yeah. and art and all that, but, like, I was involved in, like, music scenes, but I can't play music. I can't play anything. I can't... I don't know. I, yeah. I couldn't do anything. I just was never my thing, so it's been... It's such a... It's a it's a new world for me. But like, oh, all right. I am creative, but I've never... I <laughs> Not something I've ever set up until, like, I'm, you know, I'm 35, and it's the first time in my life I'm like, oh, I guess I do have an outlet, even though it's been yeah. smacking me in the face for five years or six years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so great. Um... Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and like you were saying, we can cover the same stuff. And I, thankfully, I don't know about you. My memory sucks, so I have no idea. Me what we too. Said last and especially time. when we talked, I was in like such a blur of a state. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know about you guys. Yeah, my memory is just useless at this point in life. <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah. Do you ever? I'm sure you must have that where you like record a multi-hour or an episode of a podcast or multiple, and then you like remember one piece of it, and then for some reason you'll go back and listen to it, or somehow. You hear it again and be like, oh, we talked about that for four seconds and you talked about something else completely different. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I have now is that like when the episode drops, people will message us mm. with like responding to a bit or asking about a thing. And I will have no 
like frame of reference for what they're talking about. If I haven't re-listened to the episode, which I don't usually do immediately, um, and I pick and choose which ones I re-listen to mostly just to see, like, is the show still working? You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Like, you want to check in. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was, like, a bunch of them today and yesterday for this episode, which we recorded before quarantining started. That's funny. Uh, so it was, like, right, it was recorded, like, six weeks ago, but it feels like six months ago now. And I was just, like... Some things people are saying, I'm like, oh, right, I vaguely remember we talked about that. And other things, I'm like, what the fuck is that reference to? <laughs> what could that possibly be? Is that a joke? Is that serious? Like, I don't remember if I brought up either in either context. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so weird. Yeah. Have you had the, it's it's a pleasure, and it's, it's rare for me, but it's happened. But, like, when yeah. someone quotes something back to you that you've said on a podcast, and you just yeah. have that moment of, like, or, or like, you have, like, usually, especially if someone's, like, an employee or, or like, a supervisor would be like, oh, I finally listened to your mm-hmm. podcast. And I'm like, oh, fuck. What did I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Did yes. I say anything bad? Did I talk about yeah. this? And and thankfully, knock on wood, not too much of that bad stuff has come out of it yet. Uh, but uh, yeah. I guess we'll give it time. We'll give it time. Um, well, so for my, my, my introduction, um, it's funny because so my brother, my brother Aaron, who's a total blankie, who actually had, he had told me to listen to Blank Check for, like, we're both big podcast fans. He told me to listen to Blank Check forever. And I feel like a fool because I remember this today. I had confused Blank Check with a different podcast he recommended me, a different movie podcast. I don't remember what it was at the time. So I don't remember. And I just didn't like it. And like, okay, threw it away. Didn't think anything. Maybe (laughs) year year goes by because there's a billion podcasts. And then I'm like telling him because we, my brother and I, we both, I loved the Tick cartoon and the live action as a kid. So when they, yeah, me too. When when they did the Tick Amazon, like I, when the, it was the pilot, I remember telling my brother about it. I was like, oh, that's the dude from the Blank Check show. I was like, all right, now I guess I can. You know, uh, that's actually the funniest thing at this time, too. You know, on Amazon Prime, like, it will show the actor's name and give you little tidbits and stuff about it. Yeah. Um, and so often I'm like, at least in my Roku, it does that. When I pulled, this is maybe, hopefully it's changed. But when I was watching The Tick and I pulled up your, for you, I didn't know Blank Check yet. And I, Mm-hmm. Arthur had always been my favorite character in general, which I and you're, you're actually now it's your portrayal of Arthur is my favorite that I've seen. Uh, what, Thank you. What, that means a lot to me. Yeah, it's like every one is just fired on on all sorts of just different levels of that show that blew my mind. But for some reason, for you, it said uh, it explained that you had a very long name and that you used to work at a comic book store and didn't put anything yeah. about that. It didn't put anything about your like wildly successful popular podcast. Uh, on Amazon. Well, but but also, I mean, at that time, it was like the show hadn't been uh, going for long. You know, I mean, the, the trivia facts are mostly users submitted. And it is a weird thing where, like, uh, you know, I think about that now, especially that, like, the, the tick is done for the time being, our version of the tick, you know, save for some sort of... Uh, surprise hail mary uh, you know and anything can technically get rebooted at any time well, i mean i don't think anything's but... gonna get made anytime soon right now that's very true that's very true and i would argue that blank check is probably now bigger than amazon tick just because of the nature yeah of... it feels like it i don't know it's so weird i mean that, that's what i was gonna say it's it's an odd thing because it's like uh you know we did the first year of our podcast where it was just about Star Wars and it had a different name and it had a little bit of a different structure before we rebranded as Blank Check and I got cast on the tick three months into that into doing Blank Check proper wow you know? that is so cool it, and, 
Yeah, and it was a very drawn-out process. I mean, because it was like, I got cast then, it took a couple months until we filmed the pilot, then it took a couple months until the pilot came out, then there was a while between when the pilot came out, when we started filming season one, then when that came out. Like, it was a pretty drawn-out process. But so it means that there are people, the smallest percentage of people, listened to the podcast previously, and then... Mm found out that I got cast on the part, uh, cast in the role, right? Yeah. Then there are people who watched The Tick and then through that found out about the podcast. Like me. And then there are people who found out about the podcast later because, like you, they watched the show and then made the connection. Mm. So it's like people can come to it from any sort of uh, order, you know? Um, which I guess it just, I, I don't know. It doesn't change the show entirely, but it certainly changes maybe the frame of reference for, for who I am coming into it. Because I certainly, I started the podcast feeling like I'm done with acting. I think my career is over. I might not really try to do this anymore. I don't really know what I'm going to do, but here's a podcast as like a project to keep me occupied. <laughs> I didn't think the podcast was going to become any sort of job. And I didn't think I was going to get any big acting jobs ever again, uh, let alone anytime soon, you know? Oh, it's, it's, inc it's so incredible. And, you're, you're now, like, you found, I seem like, I don't know if it's on purpose or by design, but you seem to have found a way to, like, find a way to, like, be a part of these, like, different little niche communities, which, like, Blank Check has its own fit niche fandom, which I am I am part of. I literally, I have a Blank Check t-shirt. I have a picture of myself and my daughter when she's two in match and Blank Check t-shirts. It's that's really the, awesome. The one that's, <laughs> that's it's, nice to hear. It's the one that uh, the let's go all. It looks like the let's all go to the lobby with the fennel. Oh yeah, yeah. Which one of yeah. my favorite shirts? And just anyone out there listening, I'm gonna push your merch. The most comfortable T-shirt, besides the design being incredible. Really? I I don't know whoever I bought it through. Is it T Public or T Fury or whoever made it? Yeah, although it's T Public. Although uh, we're we're soon gonna start uh, selling merch at a, uh, our own storefront. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Through a different manufacturer. Uh, it was supposed to have launched by now, and then the entire the world fell world apart. Pause. Right. So we we have a lot of inventory, and we're waiting for a, a sort of more appropriate time to put the stuff. Rightfully so. <laughs> but like, yeah. Blank Check has its fandom. The Tick has its own fandom, and I'd yeah. definitely later I want to make sure we get to the uh, Masters of the Universe, which I mean, Kevin Smith yeah. has its own you his own fandom of like as well. He Man has its own fandom. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I you can't. Uh, design a career that way but also i was always that kind of fan you know i get that i sense. was always someone who who would get really into these things that had these passionate communities i've always had a little bit of um when fandom feels organized you know when it feels like there's like a very clear ideology to it that always sort of weirds me out but when there's just kind of like um you know between like all the things i was a comedy nerd about and the weird cult TV shows I liked that got canceled too soon, like The Tick, you know? Same. Being able to go online and find little corners of the internet. I mean, just like even going back to when there was like, oh, this one person runs this GeoCities fan page that seems to be the one, <laughs> you know, well-updated sort of register of who is a fan of this TV show that only lasted five episodes and what are the news stories and the updates and things like that. I was always into those types of communities. Um, so it, it's not a thing I designed to do, but it's really cool that between the things I've been cast in, some of the things, and then the the podcast that I, I had a hand in making myself, that it's been able to develop those sorts of um, 
communities or at least given me access to those sorts of communities. And I think, I, I don't know, hopefully the, the fans of those things recognize that I'm someone who uh, uh, is a fan and gets what it is to be a fan, if that makes any sense. No, you know? total sense. And the way, the way that in my head, the way I would explain it is like, um, Mark Hamill seems like the only person in Star Wars who would have watched Star Wars if he were not in it. In the original, like, totally. You know, I got that sense. Like, I, I don't not yeah. I, about the other people on the tech. I don't know them at all. But like, from I knowing of you, uh, from Blake Check, I'm like, oh, I feel like Griffin would have watched this Amazon tick if you had nothing to do with it anyway. Oh, a hundred percent. And and like like here's an example. Um, like I have been very resistant to joining uh, Cameo, that app where you can buy like greetings from people, uh, mm. just because I feel like I would never use that. Like, it's not even like a value judgment it's just like that's not the kind of thing i would be interested in and i made some comment like that on the podcast and someone on our reddit said like well how is that any different than going to a convention it feels like you're being judgmental of one and and not the other and my answer was just i like going to conventions like you know i've been going to comic conventions for a majority of my life and i enjoy that environment and i've been on the other side of that so it's just more appealing uh, for me to do the thing that I actually like personally recognize the the value in, and so I try to, um, I don't know as much as I, you can't really control these things, but make decisions career wise based off of like what are the things that I genuinely feel passionate about, and feel like I would understand what someone would want out of this, in a way where like. Um, I like Star Trek, but I've never deeply gotten into Star Trek. I've always just been someone who's dabbled a little bit. Sure. And if I got cast on a Star Trek project, especially playing a pre-established character, you know, in the a reboot, you know, if they had let me play some classic villain in the J.J. Abrams movies or whatever, not that that was anywhere close to happening at any point in time, but just as an example, I would probably be far more stressed out than I was about doing the tick where I felt a lot of pressure, but I also knew uh, I'm a fan of this show. I've been a fan of different versions of the tick for most of my life. I have an idea. There's sort of in my mind's eye, um, a sense of who Arthur is. Mm. So I can try to build my character around who I, as a fan think I would want to see, you know, uh, on screen, the type of performance I would want out of a modern Arthur. And you can't always please everybody, but I at least I'm coming at it from a genuine place, you know? And so even then when it gets to something like doing the podcast, I'm a big podcast fan. I want to try to make the podcast that I would want to listen to, mm. but also I want to sort of interact with our listeners the way I would want a podcast host to interact with me. No, absolutely. And I, I definitely want to hit on the tick, but not, I mean, I know, I know it's no longer a thing, so we, I don't want to put too much focus on it, but... No, 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 but I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, certainly one of the biggest things that's ever uh, happened in my life, in a lot of ways. Like, anyone who listens to know, it, and we, I've said too, like, I, I work in behavioral health, but um, some mm -hmm. I do can find sometimes it's hard to, you know, that old feeling the sausage is made, that if I see a mental illness being portrayed, um, and it not... I don't know, not to like the DSM or whatever, but sometimes it could be offensive or it's just not real. Yeah. But, but it was yeah. the portrayal of Arthur that you had, that everyone on that show, but your performance of Arthur in that first episode, I genuinely believed that he could have had schizophrenia. It was so 
perfect and it felt it, you played it with such respect and uh, to the community that I, I feel so fortunate to be even to, to work as long some of the people I've gotten to meet over all these years and it was just like perfect and when it was really Arthur you're, you're, and I think it was designed that way was like you just your performance was perfect like you're, you're even like you would do these very small things I don't know if you would were intentionally but like on the subconscious level like your your voice inflection would change in certain ways and you would have these little things that like you're kind of always scanning for as a professional when you're doing like safety checks and stuff like with eyes yeah. movements like it, you just it was so perfect then you know the reveal that he doesn't have schizophrenia and this is all still real but there was such this believability and vulnerability to arthur's character like oh he's definitely doesn't have schizophrenia but it was so clear that he had trauma and then they they go you know they do that great flashback with the little boy with the the giant t landing on the car and i don't know yeah, yeah. The, it, it, it was such a it was just such a silly show but at moments so deep and profound and like literally at one point it was the season two uh, uh season two with the uh the the analogy of the women uh the women the children being kept in cages with the lobster thing like i was just yeah. like sitting there yeah. with my brother-in-law like almost like in tears actually i was i'll be i'll be honest i had my edibles and i was just feeling it and it was <laughs> so and like at some point you take a step back you're like there's a person in a giant lobster suit but it yeah. was yeah. so yeah. believable well, I have a bunch of things to say in response to that. I mean, first of all, thank you for for all of the kind things you just said. But you know, I I think I not to be glib about it, but uh, I I think that's the only reason I got the job because certainly I was not. They were looking for someone uh, far more famous than I was uh, or am. You know. Um, I mean, it was like uh, ostensibly you're making this character the the lead or at least the co-lead of the show when he's always been more of a sidekick. And the way this version was written, there's a lot more dramatic weight to it. Um, so there's a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of whoever's playing that part. And, uh, you know, I, th I think they had in mind trying to find someone uh, who, if not, uh, you know, uh, name brand famous, at least was someone who had been the star of a show before which i had not um but i sent in a tape um the casting director who was working out of la had seen tapes of mine before and thought that i could do it and so pushed really hard for me um asked me to send in a tape and was sort of clear that if i made a tape she would show it to ben edlin the the creator not just of this version but of uh, all versions of the tick and a lot of time when you're making a, a self-tape like that as opposed to having a real in-person audition where you get to sit in a room and read with another person and they can give you notes. Um, it's a much better position to do that rather than just uh, film a tape with someone who might not be a professional actor and the quality is probably crappier and you have to just put one foot forward and commit to that and they're not going to you know give you notes and have you do another take, any of that sort of stuff. Anyway, I sent that tape in and uh, uh, Ben liked it, and he was in New York, and so I met with him for coffee for like you know half an hour, forty-five minutes, um, and he was meeting with like a ton of people that day, and everyone else was uh, far more established than I was, um, and, and so I, I knew I wanted this part so badly more than anything else I'd ever been up for in my entire life, um, not just because of how much I love the tick, but because of all the elements you're talking about i've always sort of been really obsessed with the sort of line of uh how how dramatic can you make something while still being funny and vice versa you know absolutely yeah how funny can you make drama how dramatic can you make 
comedy. Which is essentially Bank Check, which is like totally. high highbrow intellect of movie knowledge and then fart jokes and, you know, right. uh, Ben. <laughs> That's that's my entire it. raison d'etre in life is just trying to like toe tra- straddle that line as much as I can. And I had been spending years doing, among other things, a lot of stand up. And that was always what I was trying to do in stand up and very often failing, but trying to see what's the most depressing stuff I can do material about. You know, what's mm. the most I can talk about my own mental health in a way that isn't sort of using it as an easy punchline or any anything like that. So I was always sort of not doing um dark for the sake of dark you know it, it wasn't like sort of doing uh edgy material in the way a lot of people do where it's like oh man that's like dark but really trying to you know hit on subjects that people usually don't find funny because of uh i don't know how how intimate they are you know mm. uh how personal they are in sort of their darkness rather than just kind of like uh, uh dead baby jokes or anything like that which i have no interest in um having it be rooted in a real personal sadness or whatever it is. So I I sat down with Ben and Ben said to me, this part is difficult because the show is ostensibly a comedy, but I'm trying to base this entire show around the idea that Arthur can be um, an actual legitimate leading man, which he's never been before. He's been comic relief and the show's always been a little bit more of a parody and I want this to be a character that audiences can actually not only root for, but be concerned about. That they can be worried that he's not going to make it, that there can be dramatic stakes there. They can feel a sense of engagement when he succeeds and overcomes things. But also it's a comedy and there are jokes written into it. And I need those jokes to land. And mm. Ben is just a person whose brain is like a computer. And so that was his opening sentence. He just like, you know, he didn't tease it out at all. He said, like, this is why the part's difficult. And it was like suddenly it was the one question I had been prepping my entire life to answer, you know? And I was able to sit there with him and go, look, I've been obsessed with the exact thing you're talking about for most of my life. And I've spent the last eight years largely failing as a stand-up comedian, but testing out different approaches to the exact thing you're talking about. And here's what I've found. And we barely talked about the the character of the script in super specific terms i was more just talking about everything i felt about how you pull off that balance of the two things and and that's sort of what got me the part you know i had multiple Mm. auditions after that but i came out of that coffee meeting with ben saying to everyone i think this is the guy we want to hire and everyone else said no way no way (laughs) you know please please get someone famous and so there were more and more rounds where i had to prove to everybody but that was the thing that i took most seriously and and the key part of that was this is a show about mental illness is the way it's set up and in some ways allegorical but in some ways uh literal you know Mm. and i want to make sure that that's done seriously because i hate when people play quote unquote crazy in a sort of just general way and i hate when people use uh any sort of trauma as just kind of an easy storytelling crutch um, I, I wanted to make sure everything I was doing was respectful. Now, you're also dealing with the weirdness of it's a show that takes place in a fantastical world with a lot of weird, absurd, comedic elements. And the crux of the show is that this guy has been misdiagnosed. You know, in the first two episodes, we're playing with the idea that maybe the tick is in his head uh, because he's had delusions and stuff before. But then we make it clear that the tick uh, does exist, at least as a physical presence in the real world. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that he is someone who has some sort of, um, you know, sort of, uh, neuro, uh, atypical 
uh, sort of chemistry going on and certainly also has this trauma and this PS, uh, PTSD and all of those things. Mm. So it's like, you know, how do you make sure it's specific while also working in real time on a show where we haven't settled on what his exact situation is? Uh, all of that is stuff I, I just I took really seriously. And then you hope and pray that that stuff doesn't become so heavy that it outweighs the comedy. It's constantly just trying to ride that dial as much as possible. And you had such an interesting task as well because, like, you had to – you're opening, you know, the pilot in the first two episodes. It's That Arthur is a completely different – like, the, the, the character beats that we see Arthur go through. Oh, like, yeah. Actually, if you, like – study it like I'm, I'm i've had i mean i've, I've had ptsd and stuff but i yeah. I, I love watching stuff I, you could even see the way you carry arthur physically from early episodes even to like a little bit uh, of the later seasons when arthur arthur subconsciously is becoming more confident as a superhero and you as the character are slowly like kind of maybe i'm making it up it felt like you're standing up straighter and no you're, you're, no totally the, the i mean that was different. yeah yeah i i mean that's that's really i i uh, appreciate that you noticed all that it was all what was your uh, prep for all that? Like, did you have to, like, they're not, like, sending you to, like, school to learn about this stuff. It was just more of a very good act. Uh, what? <laughs> I wouldn't say either of those things. I mean, they definitely didn't give me a course of what to study, but I also wouldn't say it was just that I was a really good actor. Uh, I, I worked really, really hard on it because it was the most, uh, you know, challenging thing that anyone had ever put in front of me, not just because of the size of the role and the amount of, like, story responsibility I had, but all those challenges and it, and you had to wear like costumes and shit i mean i've never made i've yeah. never been on a set so i don't know how that stuff works but like i can't imagine it's not it, you don't just go up and like all right griffin here you have the whole day to nail this i'm sure you have a time crunch and you're on location and you're in a costume it's like boom 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 yeah it, it's uh it's sometimes really out of everyone's control which scenes you end up getting to spend six hours on and which scenes you end up getting to spend 45 minutes on you know, it, there's there's no real uh, everything's prone to changing all the time. Um, so all of that is like and and the pilot, you know, I had auditioned with the pilot. There was two months of auditioning before I got the part. Then there was another two or three months of prep and rehearsals before, uh, you know, including costume fittings and all this sort of stuff before we actually filmed the pilot. So I had a lot of time to work on those 30 pages. By the time we shot the pilot, I felt like I had a good sense of what I wanted to do with it. There's a lot of stuff that has to be changed on the day when you realize the technical limitations or what the other actor is doing changes what you prepared or any of that. But I had a good base. And then from then on out, I'm getting a lot less time to work on the scripts. A, because at the time I get any script, I'm working, I'm filming another episode at that moment, you know? Um, so I can't spend that much time rehearsing uh, or prepping what I'm going to do next week because I have to work on what I'm going to do tomorrow, you know, or, or an hour from now and all of that sort of stuff. So at a certain point, it's like I have to use all the work I did in the pilot and um, hope that that laid enough of a, a sort of support base for the character. Um, it helped that I was able to pull from a lot of different things. I mean, I just was like, I'm going to watch every episode of the previous versions and read every issue of the comics and study as much as I can different um, uh, sort of uh, mental conditions that I think would help with this. Watching videos of people uh, in different sort of levels of uh, control of those conditions. 
Um, it, it's just sort of trying to like load up as much into your head as possible. Mm. And then sort of like what you said, then at some point letting it become a little bit unconscious. So there was a balance of certain things where I said like, you know, I, I knew I want to change my posture over the course of a season. You know, it, it's film is a visual medium. And that felt like the clearest thing to do is to be able to track an arc of how comfortable he seems in the suit. That felt like the most the cleanest and most powerful thing I could have done. So in a certain degree, it's like setting up like if episode one ends with me putting on the suit and that's a one by the end of the season when he faces the terror, that's got to be a 10. And we have 12 episodes, and I'm just trying to crank that a little bit every episode. But outside of that, it's a combination of, uh, of you know, different things. And certain things that become conscious and certain things that become unconscious. But trying to make sure you do everything respectfully as much as possible. It's so cool to hear that. Uh, you that Because uh, like part of me was like, when I was thinking about it, I was like, man... I hope I'm right, and I'm not doing that thing where you overanalyze it. But I've watched yeah. uh, that show at least a few times. I've rewatched it a few times, and I'm like, I don't know. It sure feels like that. Uh, it's happy. It's. Do you find? I'm. I'm curious, um, especially because like I feel like I have that as too. That kind of uh, that obsessiveness of certain things. Uh, do you find that like when working on the Tick or uh, anything else you've worked on, where you meet other actors and they're just so like checked out and just don't care about the thing as much as you do? And because I know everyone, we'd all have like a different process, and some some sometimes it could be disappointing. But um, I've I've known that with like musician friends, like you know that one person who can just get up there and write a hit song without even trying, and you're like, what the fuck? And they're like, totally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, how, how did you do that? They're like, I don't know. And fuck that person. But, you know. <laughs> well, and it is. I mean, some people are just sort of savants like that. I mean, everyone has their different process. And mm. the most important thing is what they're doing in between takes. You know, yeah. if that's there, then that's uh, the most valuable thing. Um, you know, how, how they treat everyone, how they interact with everyone in between takes is really important on an interpersonal level. But in terms of giving you something to act off of, um, I, I try not to judge how people get there. And I didn't go to acting school. I did a lot of different independent classes. I mean, I sort of pieced together my whole acting technique through a lot of different um, approaches and theories and, and doing different projects. So I don't work the same way anyone else does, you know? Um, and I try to be flexible uh, to any sort of process that anyone else has. But um, I, I think uh, uh, I, in the past, you know, prior to this, most of the parts I had played were often personal assistants. I found myself in this niche of like, you're the guy who hands people paperwork or knocks on their door to tell them that someone's online too or any of these things. Just sort of like yeah. distressed out secretaries or things like that. And I, it was often harder to play something like that where I have two lines in the middle of a scene and only three scenes across an entire whatever, you know, episode or season or movie than it was to do something like Arthur where he's in almost every scene and he's got to do six or seven things at the same time, you know, because I am such an obsessive person and I overthink everything so much. It was a little bit helpful to at any time know there are at least 10 things I should try to be conscious about. Mm. Whereas if my job is the character has no backstory, he's written to be nervous, you have to walk up, knock on the door, peek your head through and go, uh, Mr. Jacobson on line two, there's not enough for me to really spend time obsessing over, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, like, it's, it's better to have something that's that challenging to keep your mind um, occupied. But I know also, I mean, sometimes uh, 
certain scenes, the key to them was knock all of that stuff out of your head and just play this one thing. Just play that he's tired, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to just like sort of uh, square the circle and make a scene as simple as possible. And sometimes you want to put as much into it as you can. And I, I think especially in TV where things are rewritten constantly, scripts come in really late, things change all the time. You it, it benefits you to be adaptable. So as much work as you can do before you start doing it, you know, before the pilot, figuring out who the character is and establishing some sort of like physical touchstones and um, the sense of the different like. Uh, what does he sound like? How does he react to different situations? What's his relationship to each character? You try to come up with some, I don't want to say presets because then that makes it sound like it becomes too formulaic, but you try to find some some touchstones. Um, of course. And then from there you can adjust. Yeah. Because like I felt like um, one of the things I loved about this season of The Tick, besides everything about it, obviously, but um, mm-hmm. The uh, is her name Valerie? Is that the actress that played Doc? Valerie Curry, who's an amazing actor. Yeah. And the the chemistry that uh, that Arthur and her had, like, I don't know, it was such a believable brother sister relationship. But your two were also like close enough in age where, like, I'm sure you could be cast as romantic leads. But you actually, I I don't, I got that sense like that she was actually your sister on the show, like, and then and the the way the how how and the, the chemistry that you had you and Peter had, which and he has such a strange position to do, like I have no idea yes. how he was able to make me so invested in what he did. But I like I think yeah. Arthur being the avatar of that, it was the chemistry that you had with those two. Well, I think everyone, but especially those two, I found the thing that really drew me in. It had this like. I don't know, it bring. I mean, I'm just such a sucker for emotional connection, and I think that the Dot and Arthur relationship is the thing that pulled me in immediately. And then Peter, oh my god, I can listen to him talk in that voice forever. And the first, yeah. the yeah. first time I heard him actually talk, I didn't know his accent. I forget. What, um, it was the same ex- same reaction I had when I heard Idris Elba speak without realizing he was British because I'd, yeah. I'd watched The Wire and then yeah, watching The Wire extra, and he was like, oh, chip chip cheerio, and I just like fucking my head exploded. It's like, what? You're not even American? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was like, you know, the, that was the the two pillars of the character really are represented by those two relationships, right? Where it's like how Arthur interacts with the tick is the key to how much the comedic uh, sort of plot-driven, action-driven stuff of uh, the series will work. And the stuff with Dot is the key to how much the emotional sort of character driven stakes of the show will work. And Valerie was the first person cast on the entire show. Really? Um, She auditioned early and uh, they just said like, this is so clearly the person we want to lock her down now before eight other shows try to get her. So she was cast first. So when I was uh, still in the running, trying to convince all the networks and, and such, um, that I could handle this part, uh, they had me screen test with her, which really helped because I hadn't met her before, but from the moment we started doing the the scenes together, um, we just really clicked into a good sibling dynamic. It just felt like we had similar approaches to work and we had similar sense of humor and we had similar takes on our characters and it just worked immediately i mean not to mention just walking into the room and seeing her i was like oh thank god you're as pale as i am (laughs) you know we have enough facial features that are vaguely similar like this could basically work um 
and and so it just felt like that was really natural we got really lucky with that and i think it helped convince everyone that uh i could pull off this part because i fit well with the other person they had already cast peter was cast much later because they had a really hard time finding someone to play the tick because huh. it's such a specific part in terms of uh the comedic demands of it and uh you know the vocal quality it needs uh, someone who can have that sort of vocal power uh but also someone i mean you need someone who's really big you need someone who's really tall yeah and has a booming voice and is believable in action sequences but also has a really really intelligent um comedic sense and and sense of timing and all of that so he was cast very very late and I didn't meet him until we did the first table read. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. The night before, we both had flown out to L.A. I live in New York. He lives in London. And we both flew out to L.A. for the table read and went out and got dinner the night before. So that was our first time meeting. And it was essentially like meeting the person you're in an arranged marriage with the night before your wedding, you know? Because um, tomorrow, you know, it's essentially the first day of our job. And uh, very often people will get fired after a table read. You know, they'll have gotten the part. They'll have uh, signed the contract. And then if the table read doesn't work as well as people want, the network will, will fire whoever they think is the weakest link. Past, I know you've talked about this publicly, that you were uh, fired from the TV show Mulaney. Fired on that, but after we had shot, that was a more complicated situation. We had shot the pilot, and then the pilot was passed on, and then a different network picked it up and fired me. So it was like three steps beyond that, but vaguely the same experience. How funny, like, like on paper at the time, they're like, oh, a pilot with John Mulaney, that's going to be Seinfeld-esque. You must have been distraught, and then... Oh, to you have no idea. I mean, I spent there was there was a year between when I got fired from the show and when the show premiered on Fox. And I was convinced that I was going to spend the rest of my life living down being the guy who got fired from Seinfeld. I mean, I was like, of course, I mean, oh, understand. You were like the Peter Best. A hundred percent. I was so absolutely convinced. And especially to be in like the New York stand up scene. Right. And be like, oh, my God, this made it. This guy made it. He got the, the golden ticket. He got the big part and then he lost it. And to come back to New York and have everyone look at me that way, Ugh. it was just like, I'm never going to live this down, you know? And then even when I think people stopped caring about it, I couldn't get over the idea of that being my, uh, this, this shadow hanging over me. Um, but, but so, yeah, I mean, it, because of all of that, I was particularly nervous about making sure that Peter and I worked well together. Uh, and, it definitely, you know, I, I think we got along well and we had a very similar approach to comedy. Um, but that was definitely something where it was less immediate than Valerie and I, where it felt like we got our dynamic immediately. Mm. And Peter and I, we had a little bit of rehearsal before the network came in for the table read. And then after the table read, we had like a week of rehearsal in New York. And it really helped to just find the exact pitch of it, especially because... The Tick and Arthur really need to operate like a comedy team. You yeah. Know? And there's a specific rhythm to the banter. And it's like they need to harmonize with each other in that kind of way. It's not just about finding an emotional connection, although that's certainly part of it. It's like, you know, they're like a vaudeville duo or something. Um, and so it, it, it took a lot of work to get there. Um, not that it was an... Uh, that, like it was a challenge to get there, but it was just like we really wanted to get it perfect. And we worked on it, worked on it, worked on it until we felt like we got it right. And and even as the series went on, we were both very egoless in terms of how we treated our scenes together. 
because it was like, you know, uh, more like when Peter and I in the past have been part of like sketch comedy duos or, or teams or whatever than when you're usually working as an actor and only worry about your own performance. We would rehearse things and then sort of pitch each other jokes. You know, very often an actor might pitch to the writer, can I say this? I think it might be funny if my character would say this. And we got into the state where we would go to Ben and I would go, do you think it's cool if the tick says this? And Peter would say, what if Arthur said this? Because we were like, so um, we we started really co-authoring all of those scenes together in a way. Not rewriting them, you know, but really being collaborative in how we approach them. When, when, I know you were at um, Rhode Island Comic Con this year and you got to do that awesome tick panel that um, my friend and past guest Brad Rohr got to, to moderate. Was that the first time you got to meet uh, Patrick Warburton? Yeah, yeah, which was huge. I mean, because... They were speaking of Seinfeld, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but his version of the show was the one that got me into the tick. Uh, I saw that first. And then when that got canceled, then I got into the cartoon because oh. I needed my fix. So he was like, you know, the tick in my mind, um, more so than any previous version. Um, and he helped uh, develop our version of the show because for a period of time it was thought that it was going to be a continuation of his version. Mm. And then as it developed more and more over time uh, and it became more of a hard reboot, he was still supposed to play the tick for a while Oh wow! Um, until it got to a point where, where everyone realized it's going to be more confusing if you have a show that has such a different tone is such a reset on the characters and has the same actor. So he very graciously um, you know, agreed to to step back um, and allow the show to to continue with a new tick. So he was a producer on our series, but that was more sort of, um, uh, you know, repaying him for the generosity of allowing this new show to exist after he'd put so much work into trying to find a way to bring the tick back. Um, but, so I, I felt very indebted to him in that way, but also was such a big fan of his. It was so nice. Uh, getting to to meet him at, at Rhode Island Comic Con, and it also was this weird thing where uh, I I saw him and he went like Arthur, and I went like Tick, and it wasn't <sighs> even us doing it as a bit. It felt like, of course, that's what we're going to refer to each other, even though we've never done scenes together. Yeah, you know, we both sort of through osmosis understand what the other one means to each other because we've both been on that side of the comedy duo. Uh, it was it was really strange, but we just immediately felt that that sort of comfort and familiarity with each other. It was really nice. It felt like meeting like uh, a distant relative. I could see that. And is is that yeah. like and you as you kind of touched on before, like and I'm sure you've done cons before, but is that must be such a amazing yet surreal experience that you're not only are you like going to a different convention in a state you don't live in. But, like, you're actually there as the guest and being on the panel, whereas I would imagine, like, a sliding door scenario is it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that uh, Griffin would travel to a different state to go to a con oh. as a fan. And now you get to, yeah, and you got to do a fucking awesome panel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think what year it was. Maybe 2012? I went to uh, San Diego Comic-Con because I had been working freelance for, like, an iPad magazine when people thought maybe that was the future <laughs> magazine that was only available on your iPad uh, before people went like, no, it's just websites. It's just websites. Um, 
But I was working freelance for that. That was like a geek culture uh, iPad magazine, digital magazine. And they went under. They were in the process of going under, had clearly uh, lost funding. And uh, I hadn't been paid for any piece I had filed for months, but had already applied to uh, Comic-Con, or they had applied under my name for a press badge for me to be able to cover uh, things for San Diego. So I took that badge and flew myself out to San Diego and uh, uh, shared a hotel room with somebody. Um, or, or no, I didn't. You know what I did? I stayed. I had a friend through Twitter uh, whose uh, daughter was going to be out of town at summer camp, and she let me sleep in her daughter's room. I was in, like, you know, a five-foot child's bed uh, <laughs> in San Diego, and I pretended to be a, a journalist. Like, I had a press badge for an outlet that no longer existed, wow. and I scheduled interviews with people so I could meet people I liked, you know? That, yeah. Uh, and I, like, interviewed, like, like Mark Hamill and Stan Lee and the editors of Mad Magazine. Oh, man. Mayer. And all these people, you know, like, because they have all these roundtable things where they say, like, this person's going to be doing press and you can put in your bid and you can be at a table of 10 people and you can get one question in there, but you can meet all these people. And I just pretended to be a journalist and recorded all these interviews that I never was going to file, that I was never going to type up. And, uh, you know, five years later, I was at uh, San Diego doing a panel for the show. It, it was like very, very surreal. That's fucking awesome. I, I love that. Yeah. I'm just such a sucker for those moments. Like, it's so great. I hope that uh, Rhode Island Comic Con will bring you back this year. And, and I, I want them to bring a Blank Check podcast. I've been hitting them up to um, do more live podcasting there. I wish um, I don't, you know, know them that well, other than the press passes yeah. and a few people who run it. But they're, they're really wonderful. I, I have to say, it's been. It's it's actually I've never gotten to go to the other cottons either too far or too expensive. I'm hoping to go to New York yeah. this year, but it's it's so much fun and um and I, and I talked to Brad afterwards and had nothing but kind things to say about uh, you and everyone on your panel. Oh, that's nice to hear. I know for a fact from other, f- I'll, I'll be nice. I know some other experiences that some other friends have had with panels and celebrities, including Brad. They did not say those things, so they weren't just being. <laughs> Uh, meatloaf uh so you know things like that (laughs) but i but i think that gets back to what we're talking about is like if i'm doing a panel like that or i'm doing meet and greets or any of those things at a convention i i know in my mind's eye what i would want on the other end of that you know what i would expect if i was in the audience or at the other side of that table yeah because i've i've spent much more of my life being on that side um so i just always try to keep that stuff in mind you know if i'm acting i think about what the audience would want and if i'm meeting fans i think about what they would want and any of that sort of stuff so do do you find there any parallel between arthur and the tick and then um you as griffin and david and uh, on blank check because there seems to like you do very well with that straight man kind of comedy duo yeah yeah as i mean in certain yeah i in certain ways i feel like i'm more of the the tick on blank check mm. and and David's the Arthur and that he's the one who's getting more stressed out about me going like yeah. running wild and causing damage. Uh, you know, he has to control me. Which is, whereas oh my God, I love it. On, <laughs> on the tick, Arthur is sort of trying to prevent tick from causing too much chaos. Um, but it, it's, yeah, it's a similar thing. I mean, it's, it's both, they're not, uh, we play different roles within those dynamics or I play different roles within those dynamics but it's still the same kind of thing of understanding how to be a, a dance partner with someone else. It, it was listening to the um, the five year episode uh, of Blank Check episode which is funny because we had did this and then a couple weeks passed and then I listened to it which mm-hmm. I'm glad I did now. I didn't actually realize how much of um, 
it doesn't seem like it was stretched, but there is a bit a more of a performance element to Blank Check that you and David perf- do than I actually realized. Um, I don't know why it was so surprising to me. It was kind of cool. It was like, oh, okay. There's like, I, I, it's, I, I'm, I'm sure I feel the same way too when I'm hosting. I'm like, it's me, but I feel like a heightened, more confident version of me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing I always say is it's like you're 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 yourself, but in quotes. You know, that's the best it's way like to put you, it. Right. You're never saying something that you don't actually believe or hopefully never saying that, you know, but you're sort of understanding what's the way I can speak a little more clearly. You know, how can I organize my thoughts? You know, how can I sort of put on my broadcaster hat? Uh, You don't want to get too far away from who you are as a human being where it becomes disingenuous, but you want to uh, frame yourself a little bit more so that it it ends up being a little more entertaining for the, the person who's consuming the thing. Oh, I mean, I mean, so I found, when I found Blank Checks, to, um, I know the tick was on, and I jumped right into your Nolan series, but still not quite understanding what the show was yet, other than yeah. a movie podcast. And I, I've been on movie podcasts, I listen to movie podcasts, I'm such a fan, but there was this little, there's a few year period in movie podcast, uh, we call film Twitter, as I'm sure you're aware. Oh, yeah. Fuck, were they the worst people in the entire world? And like, I yeah. there's a period where I actually hated film podcasts and like avoided them. And Blank Check was one of the first ones that was like actually funny, but also knowledgeable. And as you said this on your own podcast, uh, I didn't realize this until I heard you, you and David talking about this. It really was Ben who was my entry point in because I am a Ben where I like movies. I'm just a nerd about different things that you and you and David are also nerds for, but just not in the way about film. And like having the the Ben and the Ange make it have that nice avatar of like, okay, I'm not weird for not knowing box offices from 1995. Yeah. And then you play with that. And I think it's, which is so fun. I, it's totally, but but oh, that's why I was wanting to get to it. So I I remember, I, I, I have a very clear memory, which of this, I remember I was listening to blank check. I was driving somewhere. I was listening to the dark Knight episode that my brother, um, had told me to start with, and you said Richard T. Joker, and I laughed yeah. so hard I had to pull my car over, and like was just like it was one of the hardest times I've laughed in, in, in ever, and it was like exact moment of that click of like I, I remember when I was a kid for me it was always like if I can meet another person who liked The Simpsons as much as I did, then I'm in. Yeah. And the second you said Richard T. Joker, I'm like, all right, these are my people. This is it. I get it. <laughs> There's... Yeah, I mean, that's the example of, like, a, a type of bit I just find so funny that I would usually make to my friends oh. to silence, you know? But it's, like, it's A, I mean, when David and I became friends, it was recognizing, oh, these are the types of jokes that we both find funny. These are the types of conversations we both like to have. These are the types of things that I think about that I've never met anyone else who thinks about in the same way. And we were friends for a couple years before we started doing the podcast, and we always just tried to... Uh, capture that on mic as possible because the hope was and I I think at the beginning it wasn't that conscious because you can't be too strategic about this but the hope is let's have the conversations that we could only have with each other Mm. um, in the hopes that there are other people out there who haven't found the David to their Griffin you know where they're able to hear this and go oh man this is the I've been looking for a friend I could talk about this stuff with uh, you know, because we're in this weird space between being a comedy show and a, a film criticism show. And like you were saying earlier, we try to straddle that line as much as possible. But when people ask what we're trying to do, I, I, I feel like our biggest goal is to make the show feel like the conversation you have with a friend out at like a bar or over dinner after a good movie or like walking home or after a bad movie when you're just like, I can't go home yet. We have to talk about this thing we just watched. I have too many opinions, you know, 
And when you have a good friend, a good movie partner, you know, uh, whether it's your romantic partner or a family member or a friend or a coworker, whatever it is, that becomes very invaluable to you. Uh, if it's a person you go to concerts with or the this person who watches the same TV show as you or whatever it is, we want to sort of be that conversation. So we try to talk about things that we genuinely, organically would want to have a passionate conversation about and that hope that there are enough other people out there who A, are asking the same questions that we're asking and B, find the same stupid bits like Richard Sheet Joker funny. Oh my God. That's the goal. And that's all stuff we just sort of discovered through doing the show long enough in the way you're talking about of like uh ben was our producer we didn't think he'd be on mic that much but the more he would sort of stop and go like wait what is this thing you guys are talking about we'd start to recognize oh that helps people get into the show because we are such stupid dorks in terms of the things that we think about and our weird like knowledge bases of arcane trivia that it helps to have someone um like ben who is like i like movies uh, I don't know as much as you guys. Uh, I can sort of ask the questions to frame uh, this conversation to, to people who haven't prioritized movies above everything else in their life to an unhealthy degree. Is Ben a bit? Because sometimes with Ben, I can't tell. Because he also, like... Yeah. He's, um like, a savant in a way, on the, at least on the show. Like, he plays very dumb, but then I also know yeah. that he is now a producer, a podcast producer for Spotify, right? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and he's like, I mean, it, it's it's the exact same thing we're talking about, where it's like, Ben, our producer, is himself in quotes, where I assure you, everything that Ben has ever said on the show is a genuine thought he has had. Uh, I mean, A, he's an incredibly funny comedian, and when I met him, he was doing a lot more of, like, stand-up and sketch comedy. Um, as the years have gone on, he's been able to build a really good career for himself as sort of an expert in the field of podcasting, um, which he understands the industry about as well as anyone I have ever met uh, and can talk about the business side of it as seriously, you know, as anyone as I've ever met. Um, but he does love doing dumb bits. Oh, I love it. also very often when he asks a question sincerely or he talks about something like uh, how he's been getting into fashion and buried jeans as part of his new high-end clothing line, that stuff is 100% real. Uh, he's never kind of playing a character. It's the same thing where he uh, is smart enough to understand if he says the dumbest thing that he thought of, it will be funny. You know, so it's like the self-awareness comes in with him saying, I recognize that that's a stupid thought. That's a dumb question. And I'm going to allow myself to look stupid by asking it because I think it might give some entertainment value. But he's never playing dumb. Uh, but he also is really smart. Does that make any sense? No, I mean, it's total. And I, I, I was the, the page on your Patreon feed. You do the episode with the writer from um, Rogue One, Chris something. Chris White's. Yeah, yeah, and he, like, goes to the bathroom, and you literally, like, whisper to Dave, you're like, I can't believe that this guy is talking, like, Oscar-nominated guy is talking to Ben. Right, and right. And he genuinely doesn't seem to think as Ben is a bit, and it just... No, he's, like, a big fan of Ben. A hundred, yeah. like, and he, like, and you know what, you can kind of tell bullshit meter or whatever on stuff, but, like, he'll say yeah. something, I'm like, holy fuck, that's, like, a really deep cut. Like... It's so funny. I'm like, I think like I don't. I, mean, I want a spinoff podcast of Ben and Chris White uh, together. Totally. Holy fuck! It's so funny. And that same time, like, but but I think that's the key to it. It's that like everything Ben does is based in 
some level of reality. He is never just creating something wholesale out of nothing in terms of his personality, no, you know? He cracks He me might up. heighten things a little bit for, like, the sake of comedic effect, but everything he bits about loving, all of his weird passions, any project he talks about doing, it's all real stuff. And I will say, like, in the middle of, like, serious, late-night, heart-to-heart, four beers in conversations with Ben, he will say things like that where you go, where did that thought come from? Are you serious? Do you really mean that? And he's like, yeah, of course. What do you mean? Yeah, I can see um, that. He, he is it. just that that kind of savant. He he has that weird sort of uh, alien brain sometimes. He reminds me of my, one of my, my good friend Ryan, and I feel like, and who is like kind of like hard to read, I would say, but then at the heart is one of those like, uh, you know, funny, weird, hyper smart, but then out of nowhere will do the sweetest, kindest thing that you just did not even know that was possible from another human being. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I get that sense from Ben that he's like, probably like, he's really funny. And like, and he, I know him and I both come from like the same punk rock scene. I heard him talk about like saves the day once. I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I get it. I just totally yeah. get it. It just cracks me up. But well, it's so funny. And you're all such, you know, funny people. And then David's not a comedian, but David is so, I think it's David- so yeah, yeah, it's like I remember my for my my brain is very odd. So, oh, it always comes to TV for me. It was like when I was a kid, I loved Third Rock from the Sun. I didn't know that John mm-hmm. Lithgow was not a comedian until I got older, and that's almost sure. Dave, like David on Blank Check. Like I did not know he wasn't a comedian because he's so funny. Holy! Well, fuck. I just found him so funny when we would uh, hang out. Uh, I mean, he would do those sorts of bits and things. But I, I know a lot of people who are funny. Uh, socially like that but can't do it within any sort of uh structure you know sure um and so it, it was my hope of just like i think if we do this show together uh he will be funny in the way he is socially and uh i it's just been really exciting to me the longer we've done the show the more i will see him really um apply sort of like a comedic mind to things and and set up bits in a long term kind of way you know uh this weird character he's developed chip smith who occasionally comes back (laughs) demented newscaster i mean i i get real excited to see like oh my god david's doing characters now uh it's definitely been an arc of him getting uh you know more and more confident comedically but he's always been a funny guy yeah he i mean he always would make me laugh hanging out more than most comedian friends of mine i that's so funny to hear because i um, I don't know. It's just it's just so funny to hear that because he. You're, I I honestly I didn't. I don't think I knew he wasn't into comedy or had no comedic background until until I think the five year episode. I think I just learned that. I just assumed yeah. that you well, all were UCB guys or something no. like that. No, I just, no. I mean, he's like because there are certainly people uh, like that. Uh, but but he not only that, but is just like. Um, you know, it, it's pulling teeth trying to get him to do live shows or things like that. I mean, he's like completely uncomfortable, uh, you know, functioning like a performer outside of the specific confines of the podcast. He's always been a huge comedy fan. I think he's really smart about comedy. Yeah, um, absolutely. And he also is someone who's been listening to comedy podcasts for so long, which comes back to the same thing of he knows what he finds funny in a podcast, you know? Uh, and we would always talk about podcasts that we loved in common. So when we started doing our show, we had already spent years coming to terms with the fact, not coming to terms with the fact, but uh, realizing that we had a similar sort of taste in terms of what things we found funny on podcasts. 
That's fucking cool. Because I just I still can't get over that. Because um, especially like film criticism has such a negative connotation for seriousness. And yeah, to ha- yeah. And blink. Like I mean, you and you and David might be the only two people I feel. Um, actually, maybe Leonard Mart- Moulton, because of Doug Benson, is now kind of adopted into our comedy world. Uh, but are like the only people I feel like you could teach a class at UCB. I mean, uh, at UCB and UCLA, like blank check is probably one of the only <laughs> things where you could teach the comedy of it. But like, I mean, I now, like, I mean, I go through all the series and stuff. Like the, the best blank check episodes are the first episode of a new director because you get so much into the directors. And I, mm-hmm. I now have so much knowledge of this stuff that I never had expected. Um, my fa- I wanted to my my three I, I had was making a list. My three favorite series you've done thus far that I've listened to were Brad Bird, Jonathan Demi, and Nolan. But your Brad oh, Bird, yeah, and the Nolan, the Demi one was nice just to hear how much of a wonderful human being he was. Also, yeah. to, to confession, I had no idea who he was. I've known all of his work. And that what happens a lot with Blank Check for me is like I didn't know that. The same guy who made Silence of the Land made Philadelphia until your podcast. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, which is a cool thing to be Why able is to that? sort of like th- thread oh. that whole career together for people who maybe have seen the isolated movies but haven't thought about never uh, the person behind them. Right? Never. Or and and yeah. Brad. I mean, I'm such a Simpsons fanatic and uh, Pixar fanatic of like mm-hmm. fellow. You know, Mupp- I could talk Muppets and Pixar with you like for seventy five hours, but yeah. but I won't do that too. But uh. But that, so those those are the ones I, I if anyone's listening those are the ones I, I started with that well not Demi obviously he's more recent but those are great ones to start with for anyone out there I mean and the Brad Bird um, what a what a weird turn of events of how he was like known for being like a quote unquote hard to work with asshole and then it turns out that John yeah. Lasseter is a fucking monster like. I Just, know. I mean, everything about it. Yeah, I know. I, I but it, but it's like uh, this thing. We sort of another thing we we realized the longer the show went on was like it's really about uh, context. So a it's about the podcast in general is about context. It's about us trying to present a context for who this filmmaker was so that you can watch any of these movies through the prism of trying to understand where they were in their career, or hopefully we've discussed enough of their interests or enough of their experiences in their career that the movie starts to make a little more sense to you, either why it works or why it doesn't work, you know, and what they sort of had to prove. And, and Brad Bird's a great example of a guy who like so many of his movies, I feel like are defined by how long he had to fight before someone let him make a movie. They are about that sort of artistic struggle in so many ways. Um, but also the context of what was going on in the world at the time that that movie came out, what was going on in the film industry, and how was it received at the time, and then lastly, what is our relationship to that movie, you know? Are we watching it for the first time? Did we see it in theaters? Did we like it more then? Do we like it more now? All those emotional associations, because none of these things exist in a vacuum, and I I think uh, especially movies, because they exist in this weird state of being events you know uh not for the time being but throughout most of history they are events that you leave your house to go see <laughs> the strangers yeah uh but but they're also documented you know they're records that stay so it's like the combination of a live play or a concert uh, or a sporting event combined with uh, a studio album or a novel or any of those things um so it's interesting to talk about both of those things and also uh, the context that resulted in those things getting made because movies take so much money and so many people. There's so many different hands involved. 
um, that uh, it, any movie is going to be the byproduct of everything that went into it in that kind of way. It's amazing that anything gets made and it's amazing that anything is good. And then it makes you kind of totally. have a different like view of like what we would call like asshole behavior. And sometimes is can be misconstrued for someone having to fight the fight they have to have. I do want to ask you about um, the He-Man. Have you recorded for uh, the He-Man Masters of the Universe yet? I know it was announced. I don't know how the... Yeah, I've recorded most of the season. um, And we were supposed to be recording the second half of the season sometime around now. I don't know if it's been sort of delayed uh, because of uh, coronavirus and everything going on in the world. But um, I've recorded the first five or six episodes, um, and they're in the process of being animated. And I've read those scripts. I, I think uh, I, I love the the scripts. I'm a huge He-Man fan, and fought really hard to try to get uh, a part on the show because I was such a fan. But it's one of those weird things where then, once I got the part, I I didn't even know. Uh, how the scripts were you know it was like that feeling of like oh man wait a second what is what if this sucks oh sure Uh, and i'm part of this um and they sent me all the scripts i i just like it was the exact sort of show that existed in my head that i would want to see as a fan um so i haven't seen any of the animation yet i've seen some of the designs and i haven't really heard the work that the other voice actors are doing because you end up doing all this stuff um you know, uh, all separate and isolated, but uh, I, I've done a bulk of my my work uh, on the show, yeah. Now, were you a fan of Kevin Smith prior to this? I was, yeah. I mean, it was like when I was uh, uh, 12 years old, I'd say like Kevin Smith and Masters of the Universe were two of my biggest uh, uh, fandoms. Uh, so it's very weird to be doing this show like 20 years later. Do you listen to Fat Man Beyond at all? I, I've only listened here and there, but yeah, Mark Bernardin, who he hosts that with, is also the the co showrunner on this show. I, so I'm a fanatic of that of that podcast. Uh, I mean, a big fan of all this modcast stuff, like I said before, and mm-hmm. and and I fucking love Mark Bernardin. I feel like um, Kevin Smith probably would not be a good blank check guest because he loves everything. Mark Bernardin would be the most. Am- I, I I have this like you know you. Uh, pod ship where you have like host you like you wanted to go on each other's shows like if you and yeah. you and David to go on Fat Man Beyond and have Mark and Kevin come on Blank Check would be like a dream come true I feel like you and Mark can go down the rabbit hole where he yeah. is such a critic where which I love this about you and David as well is you could shit on something but you're not doing it in a mean way you just know art and you know what you like and you're able to you're able to critic not shit on criticize you're able to criticize something so well and it actually has changed my opinion on many movies like sometimes i didn't like it and then i do like it and then sometimes i did like it and then i didn't like it because i've had listened to like blank check and fat man be like bernard and two that's one of those cats like um if if that i don't know how to, if that stuff ever happens i feel like that would be such a the podcast there's a certain sect of the podcast community that would explode that between having the, the blank check and the fat man crew on there together well, hasn't come up yet, uh, but I'll keep that in mind. I haven't gotten to meet Mark yet, um, but hopefully I will sometime uh, whenever we're uh, sort of promoting the show, whenever that happens, whenever we're allowed to promote a show. Oh, yeah. It was, it, that's too funny because I'm talking to him. As, I'm talking as if I actually know these people. I've, I've never met them. I've no, just... no, I know. I know. Uh, I mean, I've, I've read his scripts and loved them and listened to him on shows and, and loved his opinions there. Um, and, and Kevin, I've gotten to... Uh, I mean, a couple times now, both before this and uh, through our record sessions. Um, 
yeah, and uh, big fans of both. Is is Kevin as nice? Like I, a, a friend of mine, um, Chuck, who actually hosts the podcast, the guy Brad, who we were talking about earlier, he does like video work for Tell Him Steve Dave, so he like is mm-hmm. kind of tangentially. So I've I've never met Kevin Smith, but I've heard nothing but like really kind and wonderful, sweet things about him. Was that also your experience? Yeah, yeah, he's an incredibly, incredibly kind, supportive guy, and um, you you never know, especially for a guy like that who is a director but is so much a public figure. Uh, you, you like some directors uh, you work with, and uh, you don't really have a sense of what they're going to be like because you've never even seen that much video footage of them or listened to them speak or any of that. You know, whereas Kevin has such a public persona as a performer as a podcaster is all this sort of stuff and then you're like well what is that going to be like when he's on the other side of the thing and he's giving you notes as an actor um but he's just so supportive enthusiastic um and he the other thing that was really impressive with him is he writes so fast like you know the scripts are pre-written um you have really solid uh scripts going into the record session, but then as you're recording, as he sees stuff that is working really well or things you know he wants to do less of, he'll start rewriting dialogue and adding new things in there, and he can come up with stuff so quickly. I mean, even with Orko, it was like, uh, he, you know, Orko is like this sort of wizard character, um, and he uh, has these spells that he has to cast, which he does through rhymes, and Kevin would just go like, man, we should get some more spells in there. And he would just improvise a spell off the top of his head really quickly. And it's like, that has to be like a rhyming four line, like couplet. Like, how did you pull that out of your ass? Um, but he's really, really impressive in that way. And usually high to his own account. Not- I know, I know, I know. It's really impressive. And, and I just, I felt like he, um, you know, there's no fundamentally right way for a director to direct actors but there are certainly wrong ways and he was only doing the right things in terms of what i respond positively to you know um in terms of how much freedom he gave but also the guidance he gave and how he outlined that guidance without giving you line readings without telling you you need to do it this way sort of just giving you this is what this needs to accomplish and now with that in the back of your head i want to see what you do that's wonderful yeah, and so it's it's it, I I had a great time working with him. I can't wait to record the rest of it. Now, is it be- because of your uh, being a wise enough man? Now, as your career continues on, with like while simultaneously doing blank check, are there people you cross off that you could never? I don't know if Kevin Smith would even if he's ever technically even got a blank check. But there, is he someone or other people that you now could never cover just in fear of like, I know you as a, on a personal level and as a friend possibly, and I don't want to get fired. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's like, I feel like maybe now I'm on the other side of that with him. Although, you know, I, I wouldn't say we're uh, friends, although we're certainly friendly, but that requires some degree of uh, hanging out <laughs> outside of a work structure. Um, you know, it, there's there's conflict of interest stuff, but I also feel like, um, it, for me, the bigger thing is if it ever felt like we're on one side of that bridge, the question becomes, is there a way to do this with transparency you know does knowing this person to some degree uh make it more interesting or less interesting sure and if it's less interesting if it feels like there's less insight to be shared there because of that or less objectivity to be shared there um then we wouldn't do it but uh you know it's it's a case-by-case basis someone like alex ross perry who's a great 
filmmaker, but also has become a close friend and has been on our show like four or five times now. Sure. That's someone who we could never cover on the show. Yeah. You know, because I just think openly we know there's no way to be objective. Yeah. And even if I had an objective opinion about him, it's not something I'd want to share publicly because, uh, I, you know, I, I am a big fan of his work and was a fan before we became friends. Um, but that feels like something where I, I couldn't really be objective. Um, you know, in the same way that if David suddenly wrote a movie, we wouldn't be able to cover it on the show. Of course. Um, and, you know, people ask us sometimes, like, if, if we'd ever, like, do episodes on The Tick or things like that. And I'm just like, there's no way I would be able to do that and have it be the same show we, we do, you know? Yeah. Um, there are other circumstances in which I'm happy to talk about this heck, but I, I feel like within our podcast, I wouldn't be able to talk about it in the same way. Yeah. Um, and if we were like reviewing it, uh, in the way we talk about movies, I would probably be so much harsher on it than most of the things we cover because it's something I'm so personally invested in that the things that are wrong in the show stand out to me so much more than the things that I feel good about, you know? And like overall, if I step back, I feel very, very proud of the series and, and what it we were able to do and uh, what I was able to do with my performance. But if I'm watching it, it's just like a series of things where I wish I could like open up a time machine and go back and change everything. Of course. Because it's the one thing where I had some sort of uh, real stake in all those decisions. Um, you know, it's not like blank check where we're sort of guessing like, what do you think was going on here? I know. I know the binary sort of choices that were being made on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, whether they're made by me or the people around me or any of those sorts of things. It's hard for me to be objective. So that's like, you know, that's the example of the thing that I'm closest to that I could never talk about. Um, but in other instances, it's like, I, I think it's I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. I just talked a lot to get back to the same answer. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I love it so yeah. much. I have to say, to, and, um, to, for Kev, to Kevin Smith, um, uh, did you happen to see Jane and Silent Bob reboot? I haven't seen the reboot, no. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I like his movies a lot, but I, I'm someone, I'm a fan of him as a person because I kind of found him through the podcast. Like I had saw the movies, and then it was the podcast that kind of mm -hmm. sucked into it, so I'm fully aware of it. But I, ha and he shits on himself all the time. But he has grown so much. I, I really would love to hear your opinion on it, either publicly or just if you ever get an opportunity to see it, because I really think he grew as a director. Which um, in this movie, like it was, it was really good. And mm -hmm. his daughter's a fantastic actor. There was a couple moments that were like, at one point, I'm like, why am I crying in the Jane and Silent Bob movie? <laughs> Which, yeah. And I'm not the only one to say that. It was very strange. Because I watched it, like I did the, he did the tour and it came here. I went to that. And then I watched it again on Amazon Prime and it was the same thing. But like, it, it was nice. Like, I know, it, I would, I'm just curious because it's, if he really feels like he's grown as a director i cannot wait to see this he-man thing with the netflix and oh my god that voice cast besides you like holy shit are you oh the cast is crazy are you still beside yourself oh yeah totally i mean i had already i had recorded that bulk of episodes months back so it was uh like a couple weeks between when i had done most of my job and when I found out who everyone else in the cast was. Mark I heard Hamill. whispers about a few things. I know. So, like, I knew Hamill. That had, <sighs> had hit me and was blowing my mind. But uh, so much of the cast I didn't know. And I think, you know, um, people, 
there's obviously all the dumb immediate jokes you can make about what a Kevin Smith He-Man show would feel like in terms of it being set in New Jersey or how much weed would be involved or cursing or any of that. But he's very much, I, I'd say this is closer to, you know, when he's done the, the CW, like DC shows, where he is a fan of things and he wants to just sort of help as much as he can uh, protect a property and make the version that the fans want to see um, as someone who, you know, like we've been, we keep on coming back to in this episode, understands what you would want to see as an audience member. Mm. Um, so I think he's really worked to make sure that this show is in the voice of He-Man and not in his own voice and has assembled like an incredible writer's room. The whole writer's staff on the show is great and there are people who come from very different backgrounds have worked on the DC shows or have worked in animation or worked in you know live action drama or all these sorts of things. Um, it, it, I, I think it's, it's an interesting show because he's trying to manage a couple of things at the same time in terms of uh, it's a continuation. It's not a reboot of the original He-Man cartoon. Really? Um, yeah, it builds off of the the old 80s cartoon, but that wasn't a show that was super serialized. You know, it was a bunch of episodes that were designed, uh, you know, uh, strategically to be able to be played in any order, any day after school. Um, so there wasn't a larger narrative, and this is a miniseries, essentially. You know, hopefully we'll make more of them, but a miniseries that is telling one story in a specific order that is building off of the history of that original cartoon and our associations with it and all of that. So the goal is to hopefully uh, make a show that feels like what that cartoon felt like when you were a child, if that makes sense. You know, if you rewatch He-Man now, which I do often and have done even more so since I got this part and have been trying to prep, um, you know, you watch it and you go, oh man, when I was younger, I felt like the animation looked like this and watching it now, you realize it looks kind of cheap, you know, or you see where they're reusing backgrounds or they don't have the budget for an action scene or they couldn't do it because it was Saturday morning or any of those things. And it's like trying to make the show that He-Man felt like when you were a child and actually realize it on that scale and have sort of like the big dramatic, um, denouements that it felt like you were always hoping you would get to see someday. You know, oh my! I, I'm so and, and I, I'm such a fanatic of Mark Bernard and the way he criticizes his, the way his criticism is just those two, and then I saw all the voice cast. I mean, what you must yeah. have those moments of your life. You're like, holy shit! I'm gonna be on a He-Man show with Mark Hamill. Oh, you can't like, Kevin's yeah. like yeah, these like full circle things. But I feel like it doesn't seem lost upon you and where I'm sure you must run to other people like oh whatever. Like you started a Star Wars podcast and now you're on a TV show with Mark Hamill. I know, and I was on a TV show with Darth Maul. Like the the stuff. I mean, I it never. Um, Do you bring it up to to Mark when you if or any of those people? Oh well, I haven't gotten to meet Mark. I, or, uh, if if I yes, I mean absolutely. Are you kidding me? Um, Peter, we talk about Star Wars all the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I yes, I you know, and I I had met him. I'm sorry, I did meet him when I when I was pretending to be a journalist at Comic Con like years and years ago. I haven't met him uh, since we uh, are now on the same show. Hopefully, we will at some point. Oh, I I hope you tell him that Comic Con story. That would be so fucking oh, yeah. funny. But but I mean, he is a guy who uh, you know when I when I interviewed him back then, it, he talked about how big of a fan he was of this stuff before he got to be in a sci-fi movie himself. Oh yeah, um, and it's it's part of the job is figuring out how to balance those things where you never lose sight of 
um, how cool it is, how exciting it is, how much these things mean to you. You never let yourself get cynical or jaded or let it become normal. Uh, but also you have to find a way to be able to not uh, get totally overwhelmed by that and still focus enough to, to do the job, you know? And you don't want to freak people out. Yeah, or freak yourself out, you know, where you can't do it. And especially something like this, it's like because of the nature of what this show is trying to do, um, it's very cool that they gave me the job. But then the thing that freaks me out the most is if anyone listens to it and goes, that doesn't sound like Orko. So it's like I'm putting a lot of work into making sure that when I show up in the booth, um, I'm not stressing out too much about it. I'm just very prepared to uh, try to be the Orca that I think the fans would want to hear. Because all of us are trying to, um, you know, not just do impressions of the original voices, but do things that very much fit in with the original cartoon. No one's radically, I think, going to reinvent any of these characters. And even the designs, it's going to be a different art style, but with the same kind of character designs that you know. Have you had, um, I have no ties to this by any means, have you by any chance watched the reboot of DuckTales? I haven't, no. I, I'm hoping it's kind of similar to that. It's incredible. I kind of can't get over it. Like, talk about a thing that existed in the 80s and then to bring yeah. it back with different animation. Um, I, If you have an opportunity to watch it, um, I think you will love the fuck out of it. They, yeah. uh, from just from knowing, from, you know, talking to you and stuff, I feel like, yeah, you'll definitely like it. It's, um, they're doing this thing where... Uh, it's almost like a different universe. It's like a multiverse in a weird way. So it's all canon from the cartoon. Oh, right, because they're, right. Uh, and Darkwing Duck and Chip and Dale and all that. Chip and Dale were just in the most one. I got to interview the uh, the showrunner, the guy who created Darkwing Duck. And it's just so great to see. I'm a huge fan of like some of those early Disney. After- they just did an episode of this season of DuckTales. This is, this, I'm just such a fan of it. Called It was a, uh, episode two of the third season. It's a fourth wall breaking episode making fun of 90s sitcoms. And the episode is titled Quack, Quack Pack, which was a spinoff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember Quack Pack. Yeah. yeah it's just like yeah. it's it's operating on these levels. You're just like I'm, I'm, I, I have the saying. It's like I'm now that age where the people who are making the things I like grew up on these things. So it's just yeah, it's, it's so incredible. And to see like Ted Stone's finally get all the the the. The credit that man deserved for Darkwing Duck and Chip and Dale and the Disney afternoons. Yeah. It's so great. Um, That's the, very cool. Yeah. The thing I did actually really want to lead me to ask is, um, are there ever a chance that we'll get Muppets Blink Check episode, whether live, Patreon feed or something? I feel like between that and Toy Story, which I know was supposed to happen and didn't. Well, no, no. I mean, we're still we're still going to do uh, Toy Story. I don't know when this will come out, but we're going to start recording our Toy Story commentaries next week. <gasps> uh, we were just originally going to do those as uh, live shows, but that that obviously couldn't happen. But um, yeah, we're doing the four Toy Stories. They're coming up as commentaries on Patreon right after. I'm a subscriber, so I will. After Star Wars. Oh. Awesome. And and yeah, so I think Muppets is going to wait a, a little bit uh, because... Uh, uh, it, that's a little bit too much uh, Griffin control for David to have to go through four Toy Story movies and then seven Muppet movies back to back. We want to space out our, our respective uh, interests uh, and have a little more variation. But um, it, it's uh, I'm very committed to making it happen at some point. And that's the way to do it, I think, is to do it on Patreon as a franchise because... 
Um, they're different. I mean, you can do Jim Henson, but he only made a couple features, and you can do Frank Oz, but only two of those are Muppety, and then it moves on to other areas. Um, so I'd, I'd like to just do the entire Muppet history because I think it's really interesting through the movies. Uh, I, I'm, I'm such a fan. Um, what I think it was one of the must have been Ange tweeted on social media somewhere down the line. They were asking if they were going to do a Muppets episode, and it was the blank check Twitter. So it must have been Ange was like, "We would, yeah. but it would just be Griffin screaming the whole time." And it was a picture of them on the bike. Like, do you know how they did this? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, that sounds about no, right." No, I mean she's right. Yeah. It would be, but I'm I'm gonna make it happen at some point. <laughs> we will do that episode at some point. There's nothing. Um, Nothing I would love more than I cannot wait for that to exist. Um, wow. Griffin, this has been a ton of fun. Well, where where can people find you online? Uh, is there anything we missed? Anything that we missed? If not, like, uh, plug your pluggables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I'm, I'm Griff Lightning on social media. I've been trying to back off of those things, but now in quarantine, I'm, I'm way back in um, and doing a, a lot of Instagram uh, live streams and such. So keep your eyes open for that. I, I love the one with Romley, by the way. The, the, oh, thank you. Yeah, my sister so and I are doing uh, trying to do weekly Instagram lives where uh, we watch uh, a Meryl Street movie and a Vin Diesel movie and compare them because <laughs> uh, they're our uh, favorite movie stars, respectively. Um, and then, yeah, uh, blank, blank check, uh, listen to whatever podcasts are found. And, uh, the tick is still streaming on Amazon, 22 episodes. I wish we got to make more, but, um, I, I'm still really proud of what we, we ended up putting out there. And, and so I actually never do this. I never actually ask people to have, do you have a question for a guest, but because this is a special one, uh, this is my brother, Aaron. Um, oh, cool. cool he cool, actually cool. wanted me to ask you, uh, what directors that you want to cover for blank check that haven't come up yet? Oh, wow. I mean, there's so uh, many. You you wouldn't, like, people a lot of times on Twitter will ask us, uh, have you ever thought about doing this person? And it's like, there are very few people we haven't thought about, because this is so much what David and I talk about in our, our free time over the course of five years. We've run so many people through the test of just being like, would this be interesting? Is their career, like, imagine how long would that take? And are there enough high points and low points for it to have sort of an interesting arc to it? Um, but there are a couple that I always sort of come back to that I, I want to do for a very, very long time. Joe Dante is one of them. Um, Elaine May is one of them. She has kind of an incredible, just within four films, like an ultimate blank check career, ending with one of the most famous flops of all time that I contend is a great movie, uh, Ishtar. And uh, Martin Brest. I feel like those are the three that, like, I very often come back to my number one passion project miniseries we could ever do is Buster Keaton, which always just feels like, obviously we have the control of the show. We can technically do anything we want to do, but I'm always a little bit worried of like, if we do 10 episodes on silent comedies in black and white from the 1920s, are all of our listeners going to disappear? Is that where um, you kill it? Oh, that'd be so Yeah, funny. Yeah, but, but hopefully someday uh, we'll, we'll make that happen. Oh, awesome. Oh, man, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This has been such a, it's, it's I mean, I, I know you know this experience too. It's so, it's so great to listen to all those hours of your voice and see you on TV and then get to get to talk to you and get to ask those questions. So I, I can't uh, thank you enough. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. Yeah. Uh, and again, th- thank you very much for uh, having me on. Hello, potential listeners. My name is The Vern, and I'm the host of the Cinema Recall Podcast. On most shows, myself, along with some great guests, we will talk about a movie and then some of the most iconic moments that happened in said movie. On top of that, you'll get bonus shows where I will give you short reviews about new and classic movies. 
or I'll just rant and rave about something going on in the entertainment industry. So come check us out. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, most other places. Don't forget to follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Cinema underscore Recall. And then on Facebook, Instagram, we are Cinema Recall Podcast. Uh, don't forget to email us your ad spots to play on future episodes. That email is cinemarecall at gmail.com. Hope to see you around, and thank you very much for listening. <laughs>